0: Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the First Launch Podcast. Today, I'm so, 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 so excited to have a conversation with someone who I have been cozying up to on Instagram. And when I met her, we were like instant friends. When we started chatting, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is the same woman as me. Like we are the same person, we are soul sisters. Melissa Chapel, who is a certified professional midwife who attends home birth and birth center birth, and also a co-owner of two birth centers. So radical wave maker out there, changing the landscape of birth, educating women on their rights to having babies, how they can have better births. Melissa, I want to give you a big hug, but also like welcome to the show.
1: Here we can go like this. (laughs) Thank you, I'm so excited, so, so, so excited. I've really been looking forward to this.
0: This is going to be a fun conversation. So listeners, today we're going to be diving into the most common things that people come across in late labor, specifically about pushing. So we're going to talk about cervical checks and posterior babies and that pushing urge. What about laboring down? These are all things that you're likely to encounter at some point in your labor. And Melissa and I want you to know how to navigate that in your birth, especially if you are navigating a hospital birth, it's gonna look very different than at a home birth or a birth center birth. So we'll dive into that so that you have all the information so that you can really have an empowered birth. But first, Melissa, tell us just a little bit about yourself. You're a midwife, what does your day-to-day look like? Your clients, where are you? Yeah. All that flaws. So,
1: my day today is I, I'm a single mom, but I have three older kids and three grandkids, which I've gotten to be oh, the midwife for all of them. Isn't that amazing? They, all those babies were born at my birth center and I turned really stupid as a midwife. So I had my partner with me just in case, cause you're like in grandma mode and you're like, wait, I forgot how to be a midwife for a second, yep. but they all came beautifully and really healthily. And so I'm very happy about that. So, so I do have three adult children and then I have a little 10 year old, little caboose baby. So my day today is like hanging out with her. I'm a single mama. I have a great boyfriend, but we don't live together. So I'm, so I'm still doing like the drop off, pick up all that stuff. Then I usually go to my clinic and I meet with clients and do prenatal day. I do a lot of women's health care as well, in, in addition to being, to doing the clinical midwife piece of everything. I shouldn't say clinical because I, I like to see myself as sort of like a traditional midwife and a clinical, like not clinical, but you know, like I, I mean, I make sure to take good care of people within, with, 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 Modern medicine and evidence that we have, but I also like love to use herbs and mindfulness and meditation and exercise and hugging and loving on people, you know, like that's really where, where I, my heart is, is just loving on families and women. So I actually... Started out as a childbirth educator. I taught childbirth classes for about ten years, and then during that time, I became a doula. Then I became a doula trainer. Then I became a midwife. So you know, kind of that trajectory that some of us do. So, so I've actually been doing this work for about twenty-five years. So a long time. So you, how old were you twenty-five years ago? He,
0: like, you know, um, have- thirty-one. So I would have been six. That's awesome. <laughs> So,
1: so I could have helped your mom give birth to one of your siblings.
0: Oh my god! Isn't that
1: nuts? So, yeah, so, awesome. so I have. So, the the thing, the I think the cool piece that I can bring to these conversations is, is that I've done hundreds of births in the hospital, as well as hundreds of births outside of the hospital. So, I've attended nearly a, nearly a thousand births over my career, and have like just had every experience you could possibly think of. I also work in Haiti regularly at a birth center there where it's super high volume and you get to see like a whole other type of culture give birth. So I've seen a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of women give birth. So yeah, in the hospital as well as out. So I feel like I have like both components, you know, both pieces. So
0: I uh, want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> You're so nice. <laughs> You're so, so nice. This is just amazing. Okay, I am stoked to Be able to dig into all that wisdom that you have. So let's start at probably the number one thing that so many people want to know is my doctor says I have to have cervical exams and I don't want them. So A, I know I can decline them, but when would I maybe need a cervical exam? Are they ever helpful? Can I go my entire pregnancy and labor with zero cervical exams? Melissa, what do you say?
1: I have this talent of all the people that get to go through their entire pregnancy, labor, birth, postpartum without ever having an exam. (laughs) Not really. I don't really keep a tally, but it always makes me so happy because I feel like that's such an intimate part of a woman's body. And I do have many women in my practice who are like, please check me, do this now. And I'll say, I can tell you're progressing. I don't need to check you, but they just, it makes them feel better to know. And so my kind of the way that I always do things is just, it's always women led, right? Always Mm -hmm. women led. Mm -hmm. So I have, I always do, like I always say, you're in charge. Here's the information. You're in charge. What would you like to do? How would you like to proceed? This is my recommendation. I think that this might be a good idea. So with with I would say that for first time mommies, I do a lot more cervical checks than I do. And when I say a lot more, I mean like two or three versus you know, like zero. Eight. And yeah, in people who have done. you you know, who have, who have already had babies. So I actually usually don't do a cervical check unless things don't seem to be progressing in a fairly normal way. And when I say normal, my normal is like the parameters for my normal, normal, are like way bigger than the parameters for somebody else's normal, you know? So, so if, if I see first time mom, for example, who's been in early labor for 12 hours, I'm like, that's normal. This is not a big deal. Let's keep feeding you, getting you to resting all these things. I don't need to see what's going on. Although if they want to come to the birth center, I'm usually like, I don't think it's time yet. And it's a good way to tell people that it's not time yet. Cause a lot of people are like, no, it's time. I am positive at eight centimeters and you check them in there too. You know? So it really helps that frame of mind for them to say, oh, actually, okay. I'm, I actually am. I, okay, so let me get back into this frame of mind. I haven't experienced this before. So I thought that what I was feeling was transition, but it's not really. So they kind of are able to process, reframe, get back into their zone. And then they do come back at, you know, eight centimeters or six centimeters or something. So sometimes those early checks can be really helpful for kind of just helping people know where what's going on and kind of start getting into their mind. Like, Oh, this is what I was looking for. But, but that said, a lot of times after that, if things are progressing in a normal way, I don't check people. So the other reasons I might check somebody are if let's say that uh, this is kind of a phrase that we use among like the other midwives and myself at the birth center is well, or at home or in Haiti, wherever we are, we'll say it feels, it seems like she's having the same contraction over and over and over and over. And, you know, one of like my big phrases that I say is the way you know you're progressing is because things are longer, stronger, closer together, longer, stronger, closer together. So I say that to people all the time. The five one one rule, I think it's stupid. I don't think it really is helpful for people. I mean, it's nice knowledge to have, but it's not, you know, and so, so if things don't seem to be getting longer, stronger, closer together, and I don't mean every contraction has to be longer, stronger, closer together. I mean, over a period of hours, if things don't seem to be longer, stronger, closer together, a lot of times it's nice to do a check just to see what's going on. And sometimes we can check and go, oh, wow, guess what? Your baby is doing this. So let's do this and this and this. And so then we've got all these we've got some more information in order to go forward and do, you know, the things that we need to do to get that baby in a more optimal position and help that labor get longer, stronger, closer together and progress toward a baby. So does that answer your question about cervical about the cervical
0: checks? Yeah, absolutely. And my recommendation is always, you know, ask, what are we going to do with this information? Well, we're just going to make me feel better about where I'm at. Cool. One hundred percent. Well, I'm going to get an epidural if I'm not where I think I am. Cool. We're doing something with that information. You know, having cervical exams just for the, like to check the box of like, we did a cervical exam is really not a great practice.
1: The information, when you're doing it to not get information, then what are you doing? You're interrupting the flow of oxytocin. Mm -hmm. you're making the person very uncomfortable because you're sticking fingers in her vagina. Like nobody wants you to do that unless it's her partner and she's agreed to it. And it's like a sexual moment or something. Right. So, and then, and then she gets out of her zone, which completely messes with labor, that oxytocin flow, like that is so, so, so crucial that we support the oxytocin flow. And then what do we do with the information? Now we've recorded it and put you on a time clock. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we're like, oh, we, you're two centimeters. You've already been in labor for 12 hours. You're not progressing. And that actually is a very normal thing to have happen, you know, but, but now you're put in this system, so
0: to speak. Also things that can come from a many cervical checks is infection and in swollen cervix, which yeah. There's ever telling people, you know, there is a risk of these things. And also, cervical exa- exams are so subjective. They really come down to the skill of your provider and the experience no. they've had, the size of their fingers. Like, just it's so much that goes into cervical exams that makes them so inaccurate. So, if we're not doing them to either, you know, support your emotional or mental state or make changes in your care plan it's really possible that they're not needed. So my question is, what if you're in the hospital having a hospital birth and your provider, whether it be a midwife, a hospital midwife, or an OBGYN, is really insisting on cervical exams. And they're just saying, we have to know where you are in labor. We have to keep up with your progress. It's hospital policy. I'm not going to make you do it now, but when I come back at the next time in two to three hours, you really need to have a cervical exam. What do you say... Maybe what do you say to people, but also if you were that patient, what would your dialogue be with your doctor to help decline that?
1: Well, yeah. So I have a few answers to this. So the the first would, the very first thing that I would say is you need to not be in the hospital. So (laughs) stay at home as long as possible. (laughs) That will help a lot and hire a doula. I'm sure that we already, you know, you already talked about this, but some people don't have the resources to hire a doula. So if you don't have the resources, then just getting educated with all the free education that you can find online, you can get books from the library and then, and then bringing someone in who can be an advocate for you. Moms Mm -hmm. and sisters and friends are great at this stuff. They just need a little bit of education, you know? So if you really, really are going for this and you really want a certain type of birth, and maybe your insurance doesn't allow for you to choose a provider who's supportive, and maybe you don't have the funds to hire a doula. If you do do both of those things, (laughs) hire a good provider, make sure that other people that you know, who have had the same experience that you're wanting has appreciated that provider because so many people go to their providers just because they saw online that their, or their friend used that provider, but their friend had a totally different experience than what they're wanting. And it's just like crazy to me. If I was going to a spa or to get my hair done or something, I would look up and I would make sure that this person was good. You know, I just don't understand how someone who's delivering our baby, we just don't go into detail about that, you know, or. Go search for somebody who's really good at it. So it hurts me so,
0: so like, bad when people ask on Facebook groups, who do you know? Hospital, and you never ask. also how did your birth turn out? What if you have 75 comments yeah. and 64 of those people had C sections that were traumatic and 100 were not their option? Like, we're They're not like, and
1: point. he was just the nicest doctor, so you should go too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I've had many people say to me, Well, I just really like his bedside manner, and I'm like, But you don't mind that he is for sure going to cut an episiotomy and that you are maybe going to have a C-section. Like that's okay. Yeah, no, he's really nice guy. And Hey, if somebody, if they just want niceness and they don't care about that, great. It's their choice. But a lot of people don't want that extra stuff. They don't want surgery. They don't want an episiotomy or major abdominal surgery. So yeah. So that's my first recommendation. (laughs) My second recommendation is to hire a person or bring a support person with you. Partners are freaking amazing, right? I love partners and I can't tell you how cool it is to see these amazing, most of the time in my practice, most of the time the partners are men and just to see these men come in and just be like, okay, let's do this. You know, And they're so lovely and so supportive, but there are many men who, and this isn't a bad thing, but who just don't feel safe and who don't feel comfortable. And their fear is like, a lot of times it manifests in, in them stepping out of the moment. And so we're like, Hey, you jerk, why are you like not supporting me? And really what it is, is that that's their coping tool, right? It's just like, I need to leave the space for a minute. And so it's not that they're being jerks. And so it's just that they aren't, able to be in that moment. Plus they haven't seen birth. So they could be the greatest person ever and not have seen that. So I think it's so important to have a female person who has given birth or even someone who's just a mothering figure who has not given birth can be too, but just to come in and be that nurturing component and that alone, like that would enable you to stay at home longer, which would enable you to get less cervical checks. So, so support people, not necessarily in the form of paid support people and choosing a good provider and staying home as long as possible. Okay. So let's say we've got all that in place. And now we're like at the hospital. What was the, what is the conversation that I would have? that my conversation would be a lot of times I'll do silly stuff. Like I need to go to the bathroom and then I won't come out for an hour and I'll, well, unfortunately you can't lock the door at the hospital. I think they do that on purpose. So nobody will accidentally pass out and, and then they don't have any helpers, but just go in there and just say, I'm not quite ready yet. Not quite ready yet. Not quite ready yet. And then just to always ask for more time, you know what, let's do it in an hour. I think I would be open to one in an hour. And then, and hour later, Hey, are you ready for that cervical check yet? Actually, I'm feeling pretty good about how my labor's going. So I think I'll wait for another hour. I think I'll wait for another hour. So that's the conversation that I would have. And then I think there's some pre-work that can be done too. And that's hard because a lot of people don't see their same provider, you know, but if you do, if you're, if you know that the providers you're seeing beforehand are going to be the providers who are at your birth, you're going to say, Hey, listen, this is kind of how I feel about things. And I know that in some cases you need to do cervical checks. And I'm totally open to that. If we discuss it beforehand. And that's how I talk to my clients about it. I'll say, Hey, I don't really like, they ask me about cervical checks. I'll say, I never do a cervical check unless I think it's, there's like a medical reason why we should do one. And I will never just be like, okay put my glove on, lay down, time for a cervical check. Like never, I would never do that. I would walk in and I'd say, here's what I think is happening. Here's the situation. Here are the risks. Here are the benefits. Here are the alternatives. What do you think? And then a lot of times are like, yeah, let's do it. I want to know what position my baby's in and stuff like that. So I think finding position of baby is really helpful because sometimes you can have, like we midwives are amazing externally checking position, right? Like we're super good at being like, there's a toe, you know, (laughs) we're, we're so, 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 so good at that. Not, not usually. I can't tell you where the toes are (laughs) sometimes though. I'm like, no, that's literally a toe, but we're very good at like finding the back and finding the limbs and finding the head and finding the bum. But some people have anatomy And the baby's in such position that that sometimes can be difficult. And sometimes you can have a baby that seems in that great anterior position and you're getting heart tones at the front and you can feel the back at the front and everything appears wonderful. But then when you do a cervical check, you feel that like, even though the body is fine, the head is like a little bit crooked. And then in that case, then you can say, Hey, let's open up that side of your pelvis or let's do this and let's do this. So it's, so I love what you say about if it's to get information to know how to proceed or how to move forward or what new positions we want to do, let's do it. But then there is also the case to be made that if you really, really, really support a woman and leave her alone, she'll know what positions to do, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. So there's
1: that, there's that too. But I think that sometimes with modern women and just like all the messages that have been shoved into their heads that they don't always, know how to follow the instincts or feel comfortable following the instincts, or they have been empowered to follow the instincts. And so that's when a supportive, loving provider can help them know how to follow and listen to those instincts
0: tap into their wisdom that innate womanly fema, divine wisdom that all of us have yes Um, that's something that we talk to our clients about is really tap into that intuition you don't need to listen to anybody outside of your body you just listen to what your body and your baby are saying yeah we'll know what to do so i do have another question about cervical exams because i feel like this is a sticky place where people often find themselves when they do get cervical exams, okay? Let's go back to your client who's like, oh, no, I'm an eight, 100%, I'm an eight. I am 80% of the way there. I'm about to have this baby. Oh, my God. I am three centimeters dilated. I loved how you reframed it, but talk to us more about that. What about listeners who find themselves in a situation where they were getting a cervical exam because it was going to give them motivation and actually what happened is it was super disappointing and now they feel defeated or so tired or just, I can't do this for seven more centimeters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've been told and it's said everywhere and it's like pervasive that you're supposed to dilate on this certain trajectory and that, and that it's supposed to be very regimented. And and that is not how cervixes work. That is not how labor works. Like you could have, you know, the descent of the baby and the contractions and the strength of those, The that's really important. And cervixes might all respond differently to those things right so as long as the contractions are getting longer stronger closer together and you have this baby that's descending in a really good way you could have a cervix that just like holds on you know for it's three centimeters and then an hour later it goes boom or you could have a cervix that maybe that person really does come in and she's three centimeters and she's three centimeters for four more hours and then she starts going a little bit more quickly the thing I think it can be very discouraging, very, very discouraging. But I think one thing that I've noticed happens a lot is that people often, especially when they're having those long drawn out earlier labors, they will struggle somewhat with those with Mm -hmm. the earlier part. And then once they get into a pattern, they're like, this is no problem. (laughs) Yeah. And so sometimes I'll have somebody come in and they're, really struggling in early labor. And I think, oh, I don't know. How are we going to manage the rest of this labor if she's struggling so much at two or three? And then they get into labor, they get finally into this pattern where they're not just like, Oh, waiting, you know, these contractions are, have been going on for hours and hours. And I'm just so frustrated. Once she starts feeling like she's in that regular pattern, she's like, I got this. And then she just like moves forward. So I think sometimes I know this is a weird thing to say, but sometimes earlier labor can be harder for people because emotionally it's harder sometimes when you're just like waiting, 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 waiting. So I think acceptance is something I talk about a lot. I was on a podcast recently and she said, if you could tell anybody anything about birth, what would it be? And I do a lot of work with MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction. And there are a lot of Buddhist principles within that. And I use that a lot in my clinic in my clinical care with my clients and we talk a lot about acceptance, you know, and we can't predict the future. And this is one of the only things in the world that we can't predict the future at all, but at least we can plan. We're going to do school shopping this day, or I'm going to do grocery shopping this day. And most of the time that works out pretty well. Right. But birth, you just don't know, like, is your body going to be one of the bodies that has your baby in six hours, or is it going to be one of those bodies that has baby in 24 to 36 hours. <laughs>
0: 40 so, hours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just had that,
0: didn't you? I think. Yeah, yeah. we. So my longest labor is 46 hours and it was a really hard labor. My hardest oh. one is, as a support person was 46 and it was hard. It is yeah. really, really hard. We've had two six day home births too, where things were like off and on and off and on. And it was, they were just, they're brutal. Sometimes they're really, really hard. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also,
1: I think it's important to note they're also within the range of normal. Totally.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. Nobody was ever in danger in any of these Exactly. Exactly. About. Yeah. It's so good to hear like actual words that you would use with your provider scripts or something that are community always finds super helpful listeners. If you're looking for more scripts, there are more scripts in the birth launch membership. There are more scripts in the birth launch app month. And then both on my TikTok and my Instagram, I have a ton of scripts where I actually talk about how you can have these conversations of Declining care or choosing something that is different than what your provider recommended. Because if you didn't know, that is well within your rights. Just because your doctor recommends something doesn't mean you have to choose it. So I want to circle back to something that you had said kind of at the beginning of the conversation. And I absolutely 100%, 1000% cannot let it go without having a discussion about it. And that is the really bad and terrible 511 rule. This is based. <laughs> on so many different factors, how close you live to the hospital. Are you a first time, second time, third time? birther? Your commute, your traffic, your history of birth. If we don't have history of birth, how has this birth been? There are just so many things that we want to think about. Do you have any sort of equation that you tell people to consider when they think about transitioning to the hospital, if they've chosen a hospital birth?
1: Yeah, first I should say that a lot of times I'll see people have five one one and they're not even in labor. They're having early, early labor, early labor,
0: exactly. Which,
1: yeah. So I don't call him Braxton Hicks because Braxton Hicks was one man. Lots of people think it was two men, and and Braxton Hicks never had a contraction. So I like to call them pre labor. (laughs) My partner's last name is Warner, and we often joke that we're gonna call it call them Chapel Warners. We're gonna start calling them Chapel Warners. Can you like like promote that that for us? I love it. I love it. (laughs) Are you having some Chapel Warners? Because she's had (laughs) Chapel Warners, and I've had Chapel Warners, so we're allowed to call them that. (laughs) So, so yeah, just those pre labor contractions. A lot of times can look like the five one one. And I've had many first time moms say. I've got five, one, one. So what I usually say is, can you walk and talk through them? Mm-hmm. And people are all, always like, yeah, totally, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're pre, if they're the pre labor, and then are they getting longer, stronger, closer together? So sometimes with pre labor contra- contractions can be painful and they can be pretty intense. And so sometimes people can't walk and talk through them, but are they getting longer, stronger, closer together? So I usually have people sit with them, you know, for an hour or two and almost always they'll go away. Yeah. So if you're, if you're well hydrated, you take a bath, you've slept well, you've eaten something because all those things can cause contractions, right? I can't tell you how many people call me on the 4th of July and go, I'm having contractions. And I go, are you at a parade? Have you forgotten to drink? (laughs) Yeah. They're like... do do parades cause why are you asking me that question do parades cause contractions so yeah it's just yeah just from dehydration it's just electrolyte imbalance in general so yeah so I tell people sit with it for a minute do all those things take some magnesium if it still continues and it gets and it's getting longer stronger closer together and you can't walk or talk through contractions anymore and that doesn't mean that you're on the floor dead and dying when I say that to people are like wait, I won't be able to walk and talk. It just means you won't want to walk and talk. You'll really have to focus. If you equate, if you kind of think about sex, a lot of people will use that as an analogy to birth and which I think is perfect because it's very similar. When you're in the height of passion, you're not going to get up and start walking around and you're not going to talk. You're like focus. You might make moans or you might talk in ways that are like Oh, this is great or whatever, but you're not going to say, Hey, what are we having for dinner tonight? So I think if you can't walk or talk through them, if they've really been consistent for a while, but are getting longer, stronger, closer together, because sometimes you can have people who have chapel warners, just kidding, who have those pre-labor contractions for like two or three hours, you know, And, and they think, wow, am I in labor? Like this could be labor, or maybe they are in labor. Uh, and they know that they're in labor, but they haven't, they're not necessarily getting longer, stronger, closer together. So I tell, I tell a lot of my first time moms to plan for 24 hours, but that doesn't mean 24 hours of, you know, really working hard and comfort measures. That means the first 12, you're watching a movie with your partner and and maybe you pause it every time you have a contraction, or maybe you're, you're watching, but you just kind of breathe a little more deeply or you're, you're going for a walk, but you're having those contractions. But when you really should go to the hospital or to the birth center or call your midwife is when they're longer, stronger, closer together consistently. And when you can't walk or talk anymore, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I usually tell people. So those are my main, yeah, my main equations. You asked for an equation. There it is.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's really important to think about how far you live from the hospital. If you live seven minutes from the hospital, 511 is going to get you there entirely too early. Yeah. If you live, you know, some people drive into Boston from an hour and a half away. Yeah. Well, I don't want to wait until 3:11. That may be a little bit too late. Sometimes, say just as a joke, I
1: say I have a 4:12 rule. That means that your contractions have to be four minutes apart, one minute long, for two hours. Because tons of people have 5:11. Yeah. They're not even in labor. They're like 36 weeks and they're having 5:11. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Okay, now I want to talk about the early urge to push. So let's say that. We have just gotten a cervical check 30 minutes ago, and we were what they called about a nine. But you're feeling this urge to bear down. And let's say in this situation, it is constant and your body is taking over. And even though your nurse is saying, don't push, you're only nine centimeters, you're saying, I can't, I can't not push. What are we doing in this situation? So as the doula, typically I'm saying, listen to your body. If you, if you can't fight it, go with it. Even though you are quote unquote nine, you may have already dilated to 10. What do you see as a medical professional and someone who's been doing this for 25 years? (laughs) <laughs> so long. Huh?
1: So I think that people rarely get an early urge to push unless they're really ready to push. And yeah. but, so, in your scenario, let's just go with your scenario. So, I'll, so if if that happened in my practice, I would just be hands off and be like, "Yes, I'd be so excited. I'd be cheering. You know, you're pushing your baby out. It's time." And and as a midwife, I can tell: Are you really having that overwhelming urge to push, or are you just kind of feeling some pressure and you're kind of like, mm, "With it." You know, but if you're, if you are there, there's nothing you can do to control it. It's an overwhelming urge. You have, it's not just pressure because some people will confuse pressure with an urge to push. I tell people that the urge to push should feel, and this doesn't happen for everybody. It should feel like you're trying to like a sneeze is about to come times 100. <laughs> so it's like, it's like very powerful very, very powerful. When people tell you not to push, it is, it should be like trying to hold back a sneeze times 100. <laughs> so if I have someone like that in my practice, obviously I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be like, great, we're having a baby. If at the hospital, let's say, because this has happened to me a lot as a doula, because I used to do a lot of doula work. It's kind of something that maybe, you know, you've got to keep on the DL, but I, I usually like whisper in people's ears and I'll just say, you just listen to your body. Just keep listening to your body as a provider who works with doulas. I'm a big fan of respecting the provider just because I've had doulas come into my space and really give some dangerous information to people. Um, my partner, actually, I'll just share this story. Her client was having an early urge to push, but the baby was not, it was kind of in a malposition. So they were doing some things to try to turn the baby. The doula took the mom into the bathroom and said, you just push, just do it. Just do it with all your might. And so the mom pushed in when she came out, her cervix had swollen so much that then she had to wait hours for that swelling to wow. go down and for her cervix to go away. When, if the, we wouldn't have put the pressure. On that cervix that wasn't quite ready yet in the first place. So there's an example of like, sometimes clinically we do see people have an early urge to push, but it's almost always because of a malpositioned baby. So if someone's pushing and their cervix isn't gone and they're not making progress, it sometimes is helpful to like put them over a peanut ball. And a lot of times I'll have people that will just fall asleep and the urge to push will just go away because we put them in a position where that baby isn't like pressing on the area. Sometimes that early urge to push comes because baby's in a malposition that is pressing on the pelvic floor and making the person feel like they have to push early, but their cervix isn't really all the way gone. The baby's not really in a good position. Does that make sense? So if the baby's in an optimal position and the mom feels like pushing and she pushes and she has an overwhelming urge, you can put her in any position you want and that urge to push is not gonna go away. So that's something that doulas and pregnant women can try is just getting in a different position. Let's say their cervix really is eight centimeters and they really aren't 10 centimeters yet, then that's something that they could do is just try like a sideline position over a peanut ball. Or I would probably do any sideline position. And a lot of times that urge to push will go away. But in your scenario, obviously the mom is ready to push, right? (laughs) I mean, you and I know that because she's having this overwhelming urge. She was checked 30 minutes ago and was nine centimeters. Of course, she's fully dilated and ready to push her baby out. And even in some cases, like you can have people who are nine centimeters and that pushing is how they get to 10 centimeters, mm-hmm. right? If other providers heard me say that, they'd probably be mad. that yeah. I said that, yeah. but sometimes it's the body's way of dilating yeah. the cervix the rest of the way. So in your case, let's say that they checked her one minute ago and she was nine centimeters and she suddenly starts feeling the urge to push. Like maybe she really is still nine centimeters. Her body's just going to go. Phew. So I've had people before in my practice where I'll check them and they're like, they're nine centimeters, but their cervix is so soft and mushy that I'll say let's give a little push and just see what happens. And they'll give a little push. And then they suddenly go, oh, like I feel the urge and the, and the cervix is gone and the baby comes out, you know? Yeah. But yeah. you can also have cervixes that are really, really hard and swollen and fat. And in that case, somebody shouldn't push. If they are feeling that overwhelming urge to push, it can make it worse. And so I'm not that provider who's like, if you push, you're going to swell your cervix. I don't think that that happens hardly ever. I really, really, really believe in a woman's body, you know, and I believe that women's bodies will almost always not tell them to push early unless it's going to be okay. You know?
0: Yeah. Melissa. Okay. We're at a time for this particular episode, but listeners, Melissa's coming back for a part two in the next episode and we're going to pick up right here. I actually want to pick up on how do you know the difference between that early, almost like false sense of pushing versus what does that overwhelming sense look like, and here is what I will leave you guys with this week. Pushing is a reflex. It is the fetal ejection reflex. So if you're having the conversation, even with an epidural of, is it time to push? Likely it's not time to push. You shouldn't have to be having a conversation and carving out time to actually like discuss whether it's time to push. It just happens. It is a reflex and we're not going to stop it. All right, Melissa, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for being here this week. Bye y'all. Hey there. Just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your health care provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hee Hee and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.